talking about she wants Jillian to go gray with her hair and by talking I mean like seizing a little bit over it okay all right how you doing I'm happy I'm happy that you just put that out now and saved me from the uh suspense of when you were gonna say that that's why oh of course never mind I'll put it, I, I like to put everything on the table right off the bat yeah but Jillian should let her hair grow go <clears throat> Hello? Go Gray. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. You make me better. That's so, what I mean? was just crying in my car and now Stevie and I have been talking for like half an hour. That's generous. We've been talking for like an hour. I was gonna say. <laughs> and now I feel better. I love you. I know. I felt like shit, too. I was literally, like, laying on the floor of my living room just feeling like um, a bag of smashed assholes. And now I feel so mm. good and happy. I put on some lip liner. I gave my lips some some love. And uh, I saw Stevie's beautiful face. Oh, and I love I'm you. better. Aww. I also want to say, too, not to be, like, annoying, like, whatever, but... <laughs> Stevie and I often fall asleep on FaceTime together and <laughs> sometimes on purpose because we just feel safer that way. Yeah. But sometimes on accident just because like we're on FaceTime we just and fall we both asleep. just fall asleep. Um, but what I noticed is that I always like, usually I fall asleep watching something. I guess it's like a familial thing because like half of my, my family does that, like mm. listening to something or... And... I always wake up and I'll be like facing the opposite way wherever I had the screen or whatever. Mm-hmm. But whenever we FaceTime, I always like, I woke up so close to my computer <laughs> this morning. Really? Yeah. And I think it's because I just am pulled. That's really cute. I thought about that as soon as I woke up. Oh, I I always wake up whenever it hangs up because of the time difference. So either like you hang up or your computer oh, dies or whatever. Yeah. So because my volume's on, like I hear it hang up and I wake up and I'm like, like so. <laughs> Which is interesting because I'm surprised that the light just doesn't wake you up. No, the light doesn't wake me up at all. Because it's always brighter here, obviously, than no. And Stevie's still asleep in the dark. <laughs> Imagine how I'd wake up if Jillian was in my bed. I think she would be so lucky to be loved by you. That's, I think, my favorite thing that you say. I mean it. It's true. No, I don't know many, if any, people that can love with the capacity that Emily can love. It's true. Are you serious? Yeah, no, you love with all of you, and it's beautiful, and it's such a privilege to experience any of that. Truly. Don't hide behind your mic. <laughs> Thank you. I love you. I'm trying to take compliments better. Yeah, I mean, I say that and I just don't. Like, I say every day, I think. You want to know something, compliments though? It's better what? I compliment you sometimes and you just go, oh, that's really sweet. Thank you. And I marvel at how gracefully and how well you take them. I'm happy that that seems graceful because inside I'm like, ding, ding, ding. No, but then there are definitely other moments where you're like, no, I told you to stop saying, like, you're sweet. I hate when you say that when I compliment you. I know, I know. So because I'm trying not like, to. I'm trying to it's say. It's like, that's cute. But that's not true. It's like, no, bitch, it is true. 
I hate when I comment you and you go, no, I'm not even done speaking. I know, I know, I know. I know. I'm in sentence and she's like, no. I know, I know. Okay, we're working um, on it. We did pretty good on it. this episode, I think. I agree. We're working on it. And also, I just saw a little template that we can post. <gasps> really? accept compliments. Yeah, that's why oh, I would love that. Being extra cautious. I would love that. But thank you for acknowledging that I, because I, I am trying to get better at that. So that, that means a lot that it's coming off as more graceful because I'm still it like is. seizing on the inside. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. My brain's on the, it starts sparking. It's like when SpongeBob, <laughs> like when they, when they threw out his name and everyone's running around. <laughs> that was Dane, that was Jillian Anderson in the beginning, the pilot of the X-Files trying to film the pilot. Trying to think, Agent Miles. <laughs> they were like, "What's his co? What's her co-star's name?" <laughs> That's so funny. We burned it. <laughs> Anyways, bumps on my arm. <clears throat> I don't even see them. What if it's scabies? Shut up! Why would you say that? Should I tell that story really quickly? Yeah. Please. My sister got told that she had scabies. <laughs> Favorite story. <laughs> Like a, like a year ago or like I don't even remember when this happened but she got told that she had scabies because she had like a rash on her arm and like mm-hmm. then it just started spreading all over the place and she went to the doctor and they were like yeah you have fucking scabies which is basically like bugs, bugs underneath your skin. your skin and um fucked up but apparently her doctor was like who have you slept with which is like okay i don't know how that has to do with scabies but i know and so can a dick give you bugs in your skin i don't they were basically like assuming that she had been with someone who was so filthy in like like an area that was so filthy that like bugs basically crawled inside of her how old was she which like who the person was i don't know why that matters like you get scabies from like living on a barn floor yeah or like being in the trenches like in war war, (laughs) during wartime yeah um it was like this past year the fuck and then so she had to put on a cream all over her body it's contagious so every person she had been in contact with had to put the cream all over her body i put it all over my body my parents (laughs) put it all over them my grandparents my sister's boyfriend and my mom deep cleaned the entire house, all of the sheets, every piece of furniture she'd sat on. And um, and we'd been doing this for about a week. And then she went to the dermatologist because she had just gone to her GP mm-hmm. before. Went to her dermatologist and he, within five seconds, was like, this is eczema. <laughs> That's a really big misdiagnosis. Little bit. Like eczema is... Eczema and, and she she's prone to eczema. She gets she's when she was little, she used to have to put Vaseline on her hands and then put socks on her hands and sleep with it. Oh, poor thing! <laughs> so funny. <laughs> that's so oh, that's sad. Really funny. That's funny. There's so many pictures of her with socks on her hands. Poor thing that I took. <laughs> um, you laughed at her. She's like suffering. No, my sister's like a really weird person. Like she's had a lot of weird things happen to her. She's just goofy. Like health wise? She's just a goof. Just in general, just everything. Little goof. 
like when she was little she threw up and she cleaned it up herself and then she went back to sleep when she was like four that's iconic (laughs) and then she cut her hair and she folded a piece of paper and put it in the middle of the paper and put that in her closet what so that so that my mom wouldn't find it i guess in the trash i don't know she could have just flushed it down the toilet that's really funny she sleeps with her um eyes open like it looks like her eyes yeah it looks like her eyes are open when she's sleeping it's so freaky oh wow my aunt used to sleep with her eyes open like wide open really yeah and as and but and she would just be sitting there like looking at the ceiling right and all of a sudden you hear and like that would be (laughs) (laughs) oh my god that's so funny i'd be like oh That's really funny. That's creepy. Aunt Julie, can you? Oh. <laughs> okay. Oh, she's sleeping. She's sleeping. Okay. Anyway, should we? Uh... Our little, our little <laughs> questions. Little questions. Yeah, let's get into our little questions. Okay. So somebody sent us a question that said, "My sister is seventeen, and I want to get her into some feminist lit. What are some of your favorites?" Well, do we have some books for you? So here's Yay. the thing. We both talked about this a little bit before we started recording about how at least when we were 17 we weren't I, I know I wasn't reading like feminist literature it was or like um like feminist critics like theory the, I wasn't reading theory exactly but yeah. I but there were a lot of books that were like could be considered feminist but just with like strong female pro- protagonists that like I think launched me into feeling passionate about that totally if that makes sense yeah like I don't even know like Stevie and I have also talked about this before just kind of like our own feminist awakenings and like mine definitely borderline happened in high school but like later on and only because of one of the teachers that I had which was my history teacher so it wasn't like there was a huge focus on women in history but it wasn't really like literature that I was reading Mm -hmm. um and so yeah I agree like there were definitely some books that I read in my English classes where I was like, I just, I just was drawn to the women in them. Even if, even if like Steve and I were talking about, even if the overall book was like problematic in different ways. Yeah, exactly. So the books we're going to recommend are more of ones that just resonated with us. That might be a good recommendation if you think that like the themes will fit well with her specifically. Um, but if you're looking for something that's more theory-based and broad and that's, like, nonfiction, I mean, we have recommended Women Don't Owe You Pretty a thousand yeah. times. And so I think yeah, that is great for all ages. But um, I agree. Do you want to go first? So let me see. Okay, so the one that I did read um, in high school was Little Bee by Chris Cleave. Mm-hmm. And... The last time I read it was in high school, so it was it was a bit ago. But I remember it's about a woman who is raising a little boy who only likes to wear a Superman costume always. And I can't exactly remember how they cross paths, but somehow this woman crosses paths with an, a woman who is an immigrant. It takes place in the UK. Um, and they become like each other's right hand woman. And I think it was the first book I ever cried at the end of. (laughs) Um, 
it's just you grow to care about these two women and the love that they um, hold within them. That's beautiful. It's just amazing. I, I love it so much. Oh, I haven't um, read that. I'll have to put it on my list. Really, really, really cute. And I think too, it was like one of the first books that I like was like, wow, maybe I like reading. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I, those are like my favorite stories is like what books made you realize that you loved reading because I was such a reader as a kid. Yeah. Me too. And then I just stopped. I know. Well, because I think for me, at least, like I was a double major in college and one of my majors was an English degree and being assigned so many books to read kind of took the pleasure out of reading for pleasure, took the pleasure out of reading for pleasure, (laughs) took the pleasure out of just reading. Yeah. Took the pleasure out of reading. Cancel the fraction, simplify the fraction. Yeah. Cancels pleasure. The dominator, (laughs) X squared, the Pythagorean theorem took the pleasure out of it for me. So I stopped reading for fun. So I'm trying to get back into that because I have loads of books that I have been on my list for a long time now that I haven't read. So I'm trying I just to read shit. I just read shit about abortion laws. <laughs> I know. Like I need I, to get more non. I need to get more fiction. Yes, because I got. I mean, same with my with my theater major. I've read so many plays. Yeah. I used to read those for fun, and now I don't read them for fun anymore. So I need to. Try, I'm gonna try to get back into that. But. All right. Oh, Would so you like to go next? Yeah. So one of mine was I read a book when I was probably. <sighs> 1516 somewhere around there um mm-hmm. and it's called she's come undone by wally lamb and wally, wally. and <laughs> um it's looking back at the book now there it, there's definitely some problematic elements of it um but at the time it was i like, intensely needed that it's about a girl who it starts from when she's like eight and goes until her late 30s so you really wow. follow her through a lot of her life and she is she has a single mom and i identified with that and then when she experiences some trauma really young and then the book kind of goes through how that trauma affected her throughout her whole life and how in what different realms that manifested in um and i was just so i read it in probably like two days and it was like a big book and i was like weeping at the end and i kept getting in trouble in class because i kept reading it during class it's like one of those <laughs> i couldn't put down yeah and it like blew my mind and I'm, i really wanted nicole kidman to play the mom in the, in the movie isn't that isn't that the fucking ticket casting Wanting, your favorite actors yeah books that you're reading yeah yep and i wanted to be the girl of course and of course. that could have happened Ugh, sad but yeah that was one that really impacted me you do another i love that i love books okay. me too um hmm do you want to just list off like the couple of classics that we have that one happens to have was hello that one happened to be adapted by jillian yes because it doesn't actually have anything to do with her so like we were both very into streetcar in high school i remember reading that when i was early in high school and I was like so upset in class because nobody liked Blanche and I that made me so angry um and then fun fact my friend in high school loved the X-Files and was trying to get me to watch it for years and I was like I don't like sci-fi I don't care I don't want to watch it and she was like okay but the actress in the X-Files is doing an adaptation of Streetcar and she's like I know that's your favorite play so will you at least watch that with me when like National Theater Live does and I was like I guess so that was the first thing I saw Julian in in high school wow and I was like that's wild yeah I was like this is the best version of Streetcar I've ever seen in my whole life um I think 
Uh, I was really drawn, well, Tennessee Williams, just in general, yeah, I think. Yeah, like the Glass Menagerie. Because I was also, yeah, I was also really drawn to the women in the Glass Menagerie. Like, I remember, I don't know why. Now I couldn't articulate why at the time. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, those two pieces and then the women in them. And I will also say um, even the Crucible, too. Oh, my God, yeah. I really loved Abigail. <laughs> That's really funny. Because I was like, I loved that this group of women, I think I just loved how many women were in it. Because I hadn't like, I hadn't seen that up until that point. Like, I didn't even know that stories existed with that many women in them. Yeah. And like, I think 17 is a good age for that because I think it's like you're able to think critically enough about the problematic aspects of it. and, and. yeah but it's really interesting to kind of break down the layers of it Mm -hmm. um it's like sometimes i think some of the best feminist or like books that you can recommend to young women that will get that will like get that fire started within them are the ones that mistreat their female heroines like the crucible completely like john completely usurps all of it's a it's a it's talking about a historical tragedy right that mm-hmm. is completely revolving around female trauma it was majoritively females who were killed and it's completely usurped by this like male tragic hero that comes mm-hmm. in and makes a story completely about him and so it's not in terms in those terms like a feminist play but it will ignite that anger if you if you identify with any of the female characters exactly so i feel like books like that are good yeah because i makes totally sense. remember no that makes that articulates it perfectly because i remember reading it and then i remember watching the movie with winona Ryder, mm. and i was i was furious i was so angry yeah the whole time i was watching it um but yeah so yeah. those three i would say yeah those are good all ones. of them and then, those are just good and then also i good. really identified with um ophelia when we studied hamlet in high school yes um and I wanted to, mm-hmm. that was my dream role for so long. And then I ended up playing Gertrude <laughs> because tits. And when you're in college, if you have big tits, you play moms. Is that, is that true? I mean, in high school, I definitely played older women because I was tall and, and more curvaceous. So I played, like, I played, shit. like I played Elizabeth in the Crucible. Was, no I shit. wasn't one of the girls. Wow. Which honestly I was okay with because I usually found the older women more fascinating right right than, than the girls um yeah so the next one i would recommend like times a million is uh women who run with the wolves oh my god by clarissa pinkola este it's basically about it's hard to explain it's, it's like, like a bunch of short stories isn't it short stories myths fairy tales familial um like lineal lineage um uh, stories that have been passed down in the author's life um basically about like this archetype of the wild woman Mm -hmm. and just um i think the first sentence on the back describes it really well it said the back says within every woman there lives a powerful force filled with good instincts passionate creativity and ageless knowing she is the wild woman who represents the instinctual nature of women and then it just goes through and like 
really talks about in a way um talks about women talks about womanhood talks about um a lot of like stereotypes that are like the strength of women and like archetypes that are perpetuated yeah like misconstrued now Mm. it really provides like a very powerful and liberating foundation and root of of that in like the wild woman and it like just is so empowering and it's so fascinating to read all of them that's so funny because my mom probably like a year ago was like oh my god Steve you have to read this book like she was listening to the audiobook of it and I don't know why I was such a brat I was like I don't I don't have time to read like I don't know what that is like that doesn't interest me and I'm because gonna apologize to her later and be like Emily recommended this in the podcast and I'm gonna read it and I'm sorry I didn't listen to you a year ago can I be honest though yeah. it is it's a semi unapproachable uh or difficult to approach read it's very small the book is like you know it looks yeah. like a little it looks like a little academic book like that yeah we, yeah and the words are very tiny but it's short stories so you can just i'm not short they're short little you know it's yeah. not one consecutive book mm-hmm. so you can kind of pick it up and put it down whenever um but i got that for my mom and i got it for my grandma a couple of years ago um and I will probably be buying it for my sister at some point in the near future. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Um, another one that impacted me in, in high school was I read a lot of Sylvia Plath's poetry. And, like, and she also wrote a book called The Bell Jar, which is dark-ish. Like it's there, she deals with a lot of mental health things within the book. But, I mean, at 17, you're definitely aware of things, of the, all that totally. shit. So yeah. it, it's... Um, those were really good reads and then also Virginia Woolf's A Room of One's Own mm-hmm. is like that can be kind of hard to read just because her writing it can be a little bit difficult but like it's so oh my god like that I read and reread and every time I read it I get something new from it truly yeah. every time one other one that I think is good is um Closed Music Boys by Viv Albertine she was like a a musician and it's basically she's like you know it's about her growing up in the uk as a girl like amidst the rolling stones and um uh the kinks and the strokes like all of these all-male rock bands Mm -hmm. and knowing that she wanted to be like a rocker as like a girl during that time and it's basically just it's about her childhood it's about her life and it's just it's like really oddly comforting and i kind of wish that i had read this when i was 17 instead of when i was 22 because the way she writes is really really um entertaining Mm. but very very meaningful and impactful that's really cool and then like this is kind of a stretch but like i think it's a good 17 might be young Although it's not really young, but like it might be a good um, foundational thing. Um, Revolution from Within by Gloria Steinem. Mm, I will recommend that book like forever (laughs) um, to anyone. (laughs) Um, It's just amazing. I Gloria, anytime you can read anything Gloria Steinem has ever written or ever spoke spoken about, um, do it for sure. She's an incredible woman. I remember Beloved by Toni Morrison 
really mm-hmm. just blowing my fucking mind in high school. But um, that book is – it blew my mind because I was taught it really well. I had an incredible English teacher. Sure. But that book made me be like, oh, my God, generational trauma? That's – whoa. Yeah, just, I bet. Um, and then my only other one that I had was I watched The Hours because I was on a Nicole Kidman kick in high school. Um, and then I read Mrs. Dalloway, and that was like – my favorite book for a minute, even though I de- looking back, I definitely didn't understand it when I read it, but I thought I did. And then I reread it later. And I, when I studied it in, in college and I was like, Oh, this all makes more sense. And that's all I have. Um, that's it for me as well. That's like a good list. Yeah. I think that was a great list. Lots of variation. Lots of variation. Go us. All right. Should we talk about our question? Yeah. So the question for this week, uh, is colon. <laughs> Hi, do you have any tips on how to have discussions about things like politics and like IDK? Just general IDK. I don't know. Just generally <laughs> taboo things that older people think are set in stone without tearing apart your family dynamics. I'm just so different to my parents and far more fucking radical, but all I feel in conversation is rage because I can't articulate my feelings the way I want. And suddenly someone will say they agree with me and continue on. For me talking about something I do not agree with. You articulate and discuss topics and answer questions so well, and I'm learning so much. Thank you. And that's all we want. That's amazing. Um, I'm so grateful for my family and their financial and emotional support because I'm going through an incredibly rough time, but sometimes I just want to cut ties so that I don't have to deal with how unprogressive they are compared Mm -hmm. to me. I try not to be a dick, but my mind moves at one, two, three, comma, a hundred thousand times normal speed. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm not at all perfect, but actively try my best to better my ideologies every second I can with what emotional energy I have and like to question like the reasoning behind everything because like fuck patriarchy and the economy and all those things that other people don't think can be changed because quote, that's just the way the world works. That's it. (laughs) Um, well, <laughs> that was like very valid. We're very sorry that you're going through a rough time. Yeah. This was like quite some time ago, but I know, so we I hope, hope things that, are okay now. Yeah, you're seeing better days, better moments at least. Yeah. Stevie and I kind of like, okay, basically, <laughs> we're we being don't honest. Have an answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we figured like sharing that we hear you and like we feel the same way and like we kind of experience the same exact thing Mm -hmm. might be helpful so (laughs) take it away penny (laughs) i don't know (laughs) because here's the thing if i'm gonna have a serious conversation with somebody who disagrees with me i'm gonna be crying like there's just no way around it that's what it that's what my reality is is that the second i get passionate about something or if I feel like I'm not being believed it's tears and then that's hard because women are invalidated for being too emotional and that's been something that's been a journey for me my whole fucking life like when I was five mm-hmm. in school I went like we had like introducing ourselves today and I was like hi my name's Stevie I am five years old my favorite color is pink and people describe me as sensitive <laughs> oh my god and that was like my descriptor for myself that's so funny Okay, here's the thing, right? Like, I think I experienced two sides of this. One is I talk to people in my family who, like you said, also are very set in stone in what they believe. Mm -hmm. And even when you present 
evidence yeah. contradicting what they're saying, um, it doesn't matter. At that point, it transitions into a completely different type of experience, which is a very, very, and I think that's where it gets personal, mm. right? Yeah. Like, because it's like, I can't believe all the emotions that Stevie just said that one, you won't, you aren't listening to me Two, that you won't believe me three, that you won't see my side of it. Mm-hmm. And it transitions into all of that coupled with, I can't believe that I am related to and have to be cordial with someone. And in fact, mm-hmm. love someone yeah. who, who, who doesn't give a shit or who is or, racist yeah, yeah. or who, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's like really, really, really hard to grapple with, yeah. especially as you said, when they like financially and emotionally support you. And like, the thing is, is like, they could be fine in every other realm. Like, yeah, I think that's like, this is such a complicated issue. And I think it just particularly was heightened in the last four years. Mm. Um because people who had very bigoted views were no longer afraid to openly share them. And of course that confronting that is very, very difficult, which a lot of people had to do in the last four years, Mm -hmm. but it's complicated and they're, you're still your family. And like, I'm not, and you have no attachment to your family. Like they are people, they have their own issues and their own, problems it's not a reflection of you and the work absolutely not and And I also want to emphasize too like I don't know how to articulate this but it's like there's such a thing as chosen family for a reason Mm. and I know that that's hard to grapple with because it's like the idea that we are like innately connected and must be yeah um and that our family must be free of criticism for our our entire life is like very ingrained Mm. I'm talking in circles, no, but no, I, I mean, all of that makes sense. It's like, I have a family member. I'm not going to say who it is. Oh yeah. But I have a family member who I really looked up to growing up and like, I knew that they were flawed and not a perfect person, but I didn't, I thought it was within interpersonal relationships because my family has a lot of fucking drama. Like I didn't think that they were a bad person with bad views and I really really look looked up to them and in this last year this person has been so fucking brainwashed by Trump and so just radicalized radicalized yeah and just like sucking the asshole of bigotry and I have had a really hard time reconciling that because I've tried on multiple occasions to have um calm and rational and um like conversations with this person where we're both equally heard and it's just not possible they just said like we shouldn't talk about this yeah if they want to if i want to keep the relationship with them and this is a really close family member that is older and i i it's hard because i'm like my my morals are like you don't want somebody who supports this in your life but then my heart is like but this is this person to me like and it's it's really fucking hard to like i don't i've never had a productive conversation with this person on this topic ever at all but i'm really lucky because with my mom who's in closer relation to me there's definitely some some realms where she's not completely 
I don't want to say woke, but she's not completely like just aware because I mean, growing up, she was not politically active at all because she was a single mom who was working three jobs and like didn't have the time to to be to to even know what was going on and, and nor did she have the resources to it was like we were barely making ends meet and so i don't blame her for that at all um but now like having conversations with her in the beginning it was difficult because i was like i can't believe you don't realize this stuff but exactly. then um and, and sometimes in the conversations that we'd have i would feel like we're both like just completely missing each other. I'm not hearing what she's saying. She's not hearing what I'm saying, but I'm lucky that my mom has done a lot of healing work that she always sits with our conversations. And, and, and then first thing in the morning, we rehash it at a more level-headed, both of us have calmed and are less passionate. And then that's when the actual listening and receptiveness happens. And so I think it's that's just- really important. Yeah, but that's not, I'm lucky that she's like that because- I know you don't have that experience with some people in your family. And I know there's other members of my family that I, do, I can't reach that point with. Yeah. I think like it's, it's a really, really tough road because the whole like, um, the whole like you can disagree, we can disagree politically and still be friends is like ugh, such a point of view from a position of privilege. It's like- yes no we can't if what your political view is literally denies people that i care about human basic rights. human rights yeah and like this isn't an argument over whether the income tax should be higher or lower or non-existent like this is literally about a people's lives now yeah. which like also by the way is not absolved from having human consequence but it's like traditionally when you think that's the only like yeah. republican talking point well, that people, i can think of exactly people who are like oh, that's this, not like you I'm know i don't really think that like yeah. these people should be alive yeah um it's, it's like they, they always come from a stance of from economics and like being fiscally conservative um and yeah and i think it's like like, I think one of the first articles that I read after the 2016 election was this woman who divorced her husband after being married to him for 40 years because he voted for Donald Trump. It's iconic. And it's like, that's so iconic. It's like iconic, <laughs> but it's not because you should. Like, right, exactly. But then it's like, that is completely different than like cutting ties from your parents or cutting ties, you know, yeah. as, as a young person especially when they're supporting you and that's the only support system that you know exactly exactly and so a part of me feels like if they're supporting you financially that's kind of that's kind of exactly what you need right now you taking that financial support doesn't endorse in any way what they believe and and as far as like how because like you know cutting ties with family members like is something that shouldn't be taken lightly in most situations and so like it this but with this situation it is hard i think the the reality is like once you can be financially independent then you truly have the choice to decide who you want mm -hmm. to keep in your life and who you do not want to entertain and that mm -hmm. absolutely includes family members yeah um, and it's like only have those discuss those discussions if it's safe for you right now to do so. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Like if you're able to do work in other realms that make you feel like you're making a difference and still doing the work and still 
the, all of those things. And just being surrounded by like-minded people. Exactly. Like really curate your friends and, and create a little chosen family for yourself in that realm. And um, exactly. And in terms of like actual conversation, like how you articulate, uh, how you approach that yeah. and how you remain calm. Like, I don't fucking know. Yeah. I don't know. I told Stevie like a couple of years ago, I had to have a conversation with my grandpa about how he basically thought that same sex couples um, were worse parents than heterosexual couples mm-hmm. of, of children. Right. And like, I wasn't, I wasn't even nearly like out to myself, even myself yet. And so I was able to approach it with like a level head. Right. But like, had I had to have that conversation now, I probably would have just wept, which I do often (laughs) when I talk about like reproductive rights or abortion issues or things like that, because so much of what I know Stevie believes in what I believe, again, are just so tied to just basic human rights. Mm -hmm. And so when someone that you love challenges that, it's like a little off-putting. But like you said, unfortunately, like our parents, and I know a lot of parents like, you know, who grew up in a certain generation, like they are, they just refuse to change. Yeah. Um, and, and it's like, yes, it's important to have the difficult conversations right now, but you are not a bad person if you cannot change their mind. Totally. It's their beliefs. You don't need to take that on as your own just because you're related to them. Like that doesn't yeah. affect your stance at all. I know with, um, like in terms of conversating, like tips, I always try to, if the person is respect is receptive to frame whatever the issue is in terms that I know that they will understand or like in Mm -hmm. a realm that they, yeah, that they might personally relate to, especially with family members. Like I know when I was trying to talk to my dad about explaining the concept of white privilege, I was like, privilege does not mean that you haven't experienced hardship. I was like, and I was like listening to all the things. I was like, there are plenty of people that haven't experienced this that you have. And that's really hard that you've gone through this. Racism is not one of the things that you've experienced. It's just not on your list. It's fine. Doesn't mean that you haven't been through shit. It's just, that's not one of the things. Um, and it didn't get through to him, but I thought that that was a good yeah. way of framing it with, it was a, it was a good go at it. <laughs> Totally. No, seriously. And I think like too, I think like the takeaway of all this and like hopefully you get some sense of like closure and some sense of peace and just the fact that like you are that the fact that you care so much that you get so upset when people um, don't see the inhumanity in not believing in human rights Mm -hmm. and not believing in like fundamental things. Like that is what matters. Like never, ever, ever lose that fire and like celebrate that within yourself. Cause like, it's truly so incredible that you're able to manifest all of that passion in that way. And that you're doing it in a way that supports the lives of people who maybe can't even articulate that for themselves or don't have the resources Mm -hmm. or don't have the space to like, what just that that should be the takeaway is like i care so fucking much like i i'm so passionate about this and like not to be that person again but like maybe think about taking that further and like cv said but like maybe with volunteer work or 
as a job or, you know, as an intern, I don't know, you know, what stage you're at, but like, if you truly care that much, put yourself in a space where that is going to be appreciated. Yes, exactly. And that, and that could, it's not going to change the fact that like, it's really hurt. It, it hurts a lot to know that your family members think the way that they do. Mm-hmm. But I think like, if there is a positive, it's taking that really, really rad part of you and and going where and taking it where it will be absolutely celebrated exactly because caring that much is such a valuable quality to have and to feel is to be brave and you need to surround yourself with people that will celebrate and lift up that Mm -hmm. that um braveness (laughs) why that reaction that was perfect braveness bravery oh there it is (laughs) (laughs) so you're amazing and we love you and we're giving you a big hug and um we're so happy you're in this little community with us where we will lift up and value you with all of our being yep exactly retweet (laughs) i'm eating an apple we can hear it (laughs) (laughs) i feel like i might need to reapply my lip liner should we get into the episode let's get into the episode i want to dive in let's dive in okay Ooh, I'm about to dance. Whoa. All right. So episode three, season two, Blood. Blood. <laughs> um, we open on a factory. This man is punching numbers like there's no tomorrow until he slices his finger and then he gets laid off. <laughs> It's like this actor has this quality of this outcast that like everything bad happens to even though he's trying his best and like he doesn't have any family and he's just going to go home and be sad and it literally thank makes you for me articulating want to that. Weep. Yeah, well, thank you it, for articulating that. It's my daddy issues that I have a really intense reaction to. No, no, no. No, 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 no. Because there was that about him and that makes what how this episode ends even worse. It's horrible. Like I because it, that 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 portrayal how do i say this do you know what i'm trying to say like that characterization of just like him losing his mind because like nothing goes his way like he's such like a it's like you know what i'm trying both, to say yeah it, it's both. this is what i'm trying to say is this man ends up shooting up a school and this is how school shooters are portrayed in the media when they're white yeah it's like yep as these loners who like nothing went right for them and like so the fact that they characterized him like that and then he ends up doing what he did what he does is like very very apt and i don't know if school shootings were a thing in the 90s i i made a note I of that w- later no me life. too i was like i don't know that they could put this episode up as casually as they did now no oh my like, god this is one that no aged poorly I say as if nearly all of them did not age poorly. Anyways. He's a really good actor. He's a really good actor. He's just like, he asks if he could work part-time and then like. I know. It's really sad. It's really sad. It feels like I'm being punched in the chest. Yeah, it is. No, it is sad. Poor Ed. (laughs) Daddy issues. (laughs) Poor Ed. But this is like that. This is an okay manifestation of that. Like, it's okay to feel empathy for these people right but then when it, but like then Ed. but then when it's like they become a fucking school shooter i'm not having that kind of 
opposite reaction yeah yeah so i hear you i hear you this episode elicited a lot of emotions you guys yeah wow wow i'm so sorry no it's okay just on every this episode is just intense like i've been talking about how the x-files isn't scary this episode is really unsettling to me like deeply and i think it should have multiple trigger warnings i i yes absolutely it's so unsettling um yeah yep i yeah unsettling is the perfect word yeah so as he's punching in the numbers whatever mm-hmm. um the machine blinks and it says kill them all in red it says kill them Ed- all with an apostrophe because the machine has like a tone like oh okay <laughs> the, the machine is not grammatically correct the machine has a personality and like a the machine is a bad boy said <laughs> fuck grammar and ed is like wow that was weird so cut to (laughs) he's like strange anyways (laughs) civil center in franklin pennsylvania we see a man on an elevator and all of a sudden the light in the elevator says no air can't breathe kill them all again (laughs) with this grammat with this grammar that one seemed like a big jump like we can't a little bit kill them all (laughs) literally (laughs) literally (laughs) no air no one deserves to breathe anymore (laughs) (laughs) then he like freaks the fuck out but we don't really see anything yeah we see the opening title sequence then we see Mulder. he's walking onto a crime scene at this at the what's it called civil center and like i don't know cases just kind of hit different when Mulder walks onto a crime scene alone yeah i don't like it i don't like it either um and then I have this long note, so I'm just going to read it. Oh. oh, it was basically like, I don't know why. Oh, yeah. Why? Yeah. We talked about this a little bit. Like why Scully seemed to be featured less and less as Jillian became more pregnant. And like, of course, it was probably her inability or like the difficulty in shooting her or like her not being able to be as active, whatever. Right. But like these were very clearly the stories that these that the writers wanted to tell where they were focusing in on Mulder with Scully as like his intelligent and adept and clever sidekick behind the scenes and like kind of like the woman behind the man that she never gets recognized Mm -hmm. as like that's exactly they were like oh yeah no this works like we want her to be in an office like whispering things into his ear like while he's on the scene yeah i want him to be sending her emails and he's like using her as a confidant but like he's solving the case and doing all the action himself exactly this cop that's on the scene with Mulder tells him that they don't have any fingerprints but that the scene's been photographed and there are victims and witnesses at the hospital if you wanted to talk with them mm-hmm. um so the cop says things like this aren't supposed to happen here I know about this. <laughs> and like yeah, that was, like, very good characterization for, like, a very racist and empty-headed cop. So, like, good for them. It's, but, like, it's funny it reeks of, like, we only expect heinous crimes like this in the bad neighborhoods or, like, developing countries. But, like, not here. Literally. Like, white people don't do this. That's literally exactly what I wrote. I was like, this whole this wasn't supposed to happen here mentality isn't that it's a small town with good values. It's just that there's only white people here. What do you mean? Yeah. It's, like, it's fucking gross. And, like, I'm maybe i'm really passionate about this because i come from a small town like this 
where a lot of bad shit has happened and continues yeah. to happen. Like, I just... That's, no, it's very valid. It doesn't really matter why you feel that, like, it's yeah, valid. It makes me so mad. And it's so clearly racist. And it's ironic because they don't think they're being that way. Like they're, <laughs> like, they're saying it and they're just like, I know it's crazy. Like, sometimes people just go, like, lose it. And I'm like, you guys really think that bad things don't happen because you're white? Is that really yep. what you think? Yeah. The majority of all serial killers are white. And school shooters. Yep. Or not sh- not school mass shooters mass shooting mass shooting yeah. Um, so basically, what happened is a forty two year old guy, uh, who was in the elevator, was a real estate agent. He murdered four strangers with his bare hands. Mm. Okay. <laughs> um, then the cop is like, basically, per capita, like the fact that he killed that many people is just like, has just catapulted their, um homicide rate it's higher than like a lot of major cities combined blah 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 blah. just say you're racist it's okay (laughs) it's fine we all Um, know and then like they start talking about how he played softball and like it just how could a nice white man who played softball do this who played softball badly apparently because he was right field the motor's like i was right field Just guys being dudes, you know you what need, I mean. You need an arm to have to be. He's upset about him thinking right field is bad when like five people are dead. Yeah, literally, <laughs> just like some bros talking about baseball in front of dead people. You know, and, and Mulder finally can because Scully's not there to be like, "Hey, let's focus on the case." You're being a freak. Yeah. <laughs> so back to our man Ed at the ATM. He's cashing his check. Yeah, and. At this point, we recognize that it would seem that blood triggers what Ed is seeing in mm-hmm. the machines, in these digital texts. Yes. The machine tells him to take the security guard's gun and kill everyone. So Ed starts throwing hands at the ATM. He starts fighting the ATM. <laughs> I support that he doesn't listen to it right away. You know what I mean? I agree. Like, yeah. fuck you, machine. <laughs> yep. He's stronger than us all. Um, not like the elevator guy who was like okay okay (laughs) (laughs) but there's no air okay okay everyone has to die you got it (laughs) so cut to Mulder explaining the details of the case they're largely very unimportant basically all the perpetrators were middle income responsible people none with a history of violence um like he basically says like they were more likely to be the victims of crimes than the killers themselves i got really excited when he was talking about mass murders and spree versus serial killings because i took a forensic psychology class in college and that is the only bit of information i retained from it so i was like yeah i know this um and i also think that this is the one time a molder voiceover actually works because they're talking about the case and not some like faux metaphysical bullshit like and i like that scully is is like reading and reacting to it like i wonder when you'd get to that like that's just like that whole interaction was cute and i think it's so interesting that Mulder is this fucking renowned profiler but hardly ever profiles and so i i think it's really interesting when he does and i wish they would do this more that was yeah that was a really well fitted um voiceover and it was also well fitted because uh scully was actually on screen reading it so it was like that was cool so i felt like wow. her. yeah so 
Um, now Mulder is at the Venango County Sheriff's Office. Scully's at the FBI National Academy in Quantico, Virginia. Kind of a little cheeky crossfade of each of them doing their work. Um, like I said, Scully's, re- like we said, Scully's reading Mulder's report looking so beautiful. So beautiful this episode. What else is new? Yeah. Um, Mulder notes that there was a digital device present at each of the killings, but not the same one. Little tidbit. Okay. And then we get this show's favorite pat- pastime, which mm-hmm. is being science fiction and still choosing to prey on women's most primal fears. Oh, oh, oh. This is when we're introduced to the third um, victim to this like digitalized paranoia shit a woman walks into a a mechanic's place to pick up her car right off the bat you already know something bad is going to happen because she's a woman she's alone she's picking up her car from a male mechanic you guessed it right if you thought something bad was going to happen he literally starts harassing her because she was late in picking up her car it feels like he's about to assault her which prompts her to have to invoke her husband's name, saying that he's waiting for her because the only way men will leave women alone is if the threat of another man hurting them in some way is presented. He continues to harass her, and I hate this scene for this very specific reason, among other reasons, but it's like it shows how cool, calm, and collected um, that man is and how just in general the way men... um, seem to be that way when they're scaring women just to like put them in their place like even if this man isn't intending to do anything what are you doing intentionally terrifying her right like and being like what i'm just being a nice guy exactly men making women fear for their life because they were minorly inconvenienced by them and it's just this scene like you and i have talked about like when i fairly recently i had to go into the um shop to get something on my car fixed how intimidating that specific realm is as a woman Mm -hmm. going in because not only do i think i'm gonna get a bad deal because um i don't know anything about cars and i don't know anything about cars not because i'm a woman because i'm me and i don't give a fuck about cars nothing to do with my sex or gender identity at all um but like it's it's a very male dominated area and so you go in feeling really intimidated and it just is irritating because this depiction is so unsettling and he really seems like he's going to do something like that's the energy music and all like it's all very ominous all of the other ones were seemingly normal situations where they got messages and then acted irrationally so this because they it was it was meant to be like yeah it was meant to be like a shock it was meant to be irrational yeah like the guy in the elevator was like what no air and then the and then ed saw the blood and was like what kill everyone what do you mean Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden they're looking panicked while everything is going on normally around them and that's supposed to be the unsettling bit that cues you that something's wrong i don't think that anything's wrong with her in this situation like the second that it begins i'm not like oh she seems a little paranoid i'm like oh she seems rightfully scared (sighs) Yeah, literally. Like, so it doesn't fit. Why wasn't it a fucking fear of heights? Why wasn't it? Like, if we're going to... I'm not going to get Because she's a woman. Because she's a woman. Why wouldn't you? You have every possible phobia in the world. Why wouldn't you prey on this one? 
It's very rational fear. <laughs> it's very real. Chris Carter, Chris Carter said it himself, man. You know, he said, how do I make Scully three-dimensional? By preying on her intense fear of men and violence for men. I need to go scream outside. That's how women are given oh. depth. Like, no, like Mulder has this whole oh. backstory. He's got a whole plot. Like he's a tortured soul. His mother probably hit him all the time. And now he, you know, he can't trust women because he doesn't know how to let himself be loved. Scully's three-dimensional because she's been nearly killed. I feel like a bruised banana. <laughs> the machine that's running the diagnostics on her car are telling her that the, this predator is lying about whatever he's saying about her car. Then it goes from like zero to 100 yeah. really fast. Yeah. And the machine says that he's going to rape her. And then as if that's not enough, it says he's also going to kill her. He's lying about your car. So he's going to rape you. Okay. What? What are these jumps huh? that are happening? <laughs> what? I also like can't imagine being in any room other than like fucking law and order being in any other writer's room other than law and order and like writing out a plot like this just just as like a spicy addition in the line of victims that's not even the focal point i anyways we so the point being is like clearly this was written by men who don't understand that the fear of being in a room alone with a man uh who is harassing you uh, isn't already with the fear that he's going to assault you isn't already a very rational fear that women feel on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. So I'm happy she murdered him. So like, it's basically in this scene that you're supposed to realize that like the machine plays on people's worst fears and then that causes them to act out aggressively and violently. Yep. And then again, just like Stevie said, like the other two are irrational right like ed's is irrational the real estate guy who was bad at softball his was irrational the fear of blood causing him to act violently doesn't make any sense the fear of close spaces or more accurately running out of oxygen causing him to act violently doesn't make any sense whereas with this woman the fear of being assaulted or being killed by a man who has very clearly put her in a terrifying situation is not irrational and often happens when women are forced to act in self-defense. So wh what's not, what's not clicking? I don't understand. Yep, you nailed it. And then it gets even worse because she gets closer to her car because he's telling her to come over and look at something. Um, just being a creep for shits, I guess. <laughs> And he grabs her arm. Yeah. And then she acts as she fucking should. And he not she knocks him out with a wrench as she should. Yeah. Let's just say that a million more times. <laughs> and like the blood splatters on her heels when she stabs him with something. And like it's kind of an iconic shot of her. Of her yeah, heels. honestly, that's really powerful. We should post the still of it. Yeah. Overall, like super triggering scene, unsettling scene, horrible scene in every way, shape, and or form. Um, so we'll move on. Um, so that scene is over and now we're back with the investigators and Mulder the next day at that crime scene. 
And like the second you see three men on the crime scene, you already know that the discourse around this entire thing is going to be so fucked up and so convoluted in so many ways. Yep. Um, so the cop and the sheriff basically couldn't give less of a shit. So Mulder has to tell them this killing is connected to the other murders and they go to this woman's house. Side note, she's really hot. Um, (laughs) they go in to question her, the cop and Mulder, and she's making her breakfast and the microwave tells her that Mulder knows what she did and that she should kill both of them. So again, just unnecessary touching for men. That's literally what I wrote. I was like, maybe let's not touch women without their consent because that seems to be the common denominator here. Yeah. So Mulder touches her and she tries to stab him and the cop kills her. And so, yeah, we find out that like clearly her fear is, is uh, assault of some form, non-consensual touching, yeah, they, just the touch of men. They say it more explicitly later when they're in the hospital. Um, which is like very, yeah, very valid fear. Yes, indeed. Um, so Scully does the autopsy of her fucking finally. And um, she says that there has been a chemical found on or in the perpetrators, all of them. And that when that chemical reacts with adrenaline and other compounds secreted during phobic episodes, it creates a substance similar to LSD, which would explain the hallucinations that people were seeing in digital um, devices. So cut to Ed. He's in a department store. The TVs are showing him. He like goes this whole thing, whatever. He wants, he's trying to get a job it's just whatever. like um the giant open gun section in the shore is really like <laughs> america oh yeah totally like in a walmart in a fucking, yeah in a walmart um he turns around and like there's this bunch of tvs and they're all showing him images or videos of like serial killers or like mass murders or like notorious crimes and then the tvs tell him to go buy a gun uh and he does it's like there's so many fundamental societal issues in this episode that are just unconsciously on display and that's what i think is most interesting about it is that it's unconscious but like we know these things and so it's funny that they're like oh yeah this guy had access to kill hundreds but no 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 that's not the x-file the x-file is is is, is what's in it's it's the spray yep so then probably one of the most ridiculous scenes of the entire show and like further proof that without Scully and without Jillian, this show would have tanked. <laughs> um, so we see Mulder just like casually running. Uh, he's dripping in sweat. And he sees some dude like dumping dead flies outside of some houses. So he goes and takes one and puts it in his pocket. He's like, he's like, ooh, a bug. <laughs> Way to be a five-year-old little boy. <laughs> then we have a scene at the Lone Gunman's, the Lone Gunman's, mm-hmm. where they examine the fly, and they have some fun pictures of like random women in lingerie on their wall, like not objectifying at all. Um, I have a few and, things. Like, go for it. So, like one. They make a joke about Mulder's porn thing. It's not funny. It's just infuriating. You know what else is yeah. infuriating? Them joking about Scully not wanting to be around Frohickey because it's okay. uncomfortable and him saying that she's tasty. Because <laughs> here's the ticket. Cute crushes can be a thing. Like, see Adrian Pendrel in season three and four. Like, that is fine and appropriate the whole time. But this perversion is nasty and predatory heart. 
Yeah, I really didn't love that the only time Scully's name has been evoked in this entire episode. It's either her being sexualized or her being needed to like help Mulder yep. in this case. Cute. Not great. So like what I kind of got from this scene is that like the fly is like pretty much useless at this point. Like, yeah, I don't really. They were just kind of like, yeah, I don't really know. Okay. Mulder asks about what Scully found, the LSDM, and they talk about how it's an insect, it's an insecticide, and it might have a f- the same effect on humans in the way it does the bugs. Basically, they compare it to DDT in the 1950s, where um, they said it had no effect on humans. Then, 30 years later, they found out women in the areas it was sprayed had higher cases, had higher rates of breast cancer. It's always women. Always women, yeah. So Mulder goes out to look, f- look at something, um, in the next scene through binoculars that Frohickey said he would give Mulder if Mulder gave him Scully's number, and uh, wow, I hope Mulder gave uh, him a fake number yep. uh, and not Scully's actual number because he has he he has the binoculars in the next scene. So funny. Then boom, helicopter. <laughs> gases molder with some lsdm <laughs> um and he's in the hospital yelling at some white mustached man about how he's responsible the mayor i to- think is it someone he's like in charge of something and not to deny the spraying and that the killers all lived in or near highly sprayed areas and then the white mustache shio is like listen i have family here therefore how dare you suggest I would poison people here? Like, I, have, I care about the other people, too, but, like, my family. I have a daughter. I would never harass a woman. Exactly. Precisely. Um, but then he admits to it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that didn't last very long. And he says he did it because the bugs were killing the crops. <laughs> mm, and they said it would be fine. Yeah. So Scully is there. Thank God. And she says that the LSDM couldn't have been responsible because Mulder isn't Charles Manson. And he was sprayed with it. Yeah. Then Mulder sees something on the TV and he thinks that it's the drugs taking, the drugs, the insecticide taking effect on him. Mm -hmm. But it's really just an advertisement for a gym or something. And then that, that forces him to say, well, what about subliminal messaging? Like technological devices were destroyed by every perpetrator at the crime scene yada 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 instant spongebob meme subliminal messages lsdm evokes a fear response in flies and in humans maybe human humans humans maybe question mark causing the perpetrators to act out of fear of their phobia induced by subliminal messaging started by who we don't fucking know Um, yes so the key thing here, I think, is that he calls them all phobias, which is literally defined as an extreme or irrational fear. And so then he goes through them and he says that so-and-so is afraid of small spaces. And then he says, Miss Robert's husband stated she had a paranoia about rape. Um, so I just wrote, I'm going to pull my hair out. That's what I wrote. Those were all my thoughts. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry. I'm not. I feel like I'm just sitting here fuming, but literally it makes me so upset. I don't even know how to articulate it. Well, it's just like, it's frustrating because it's frustrating because this was such an iconic show and it's disappointing to see something so, so blatantly misconstrued. Yeah. And it's like, 
just I think it's the unconscious fact of it that really bothers me because totally it's like it almost feels worse because it's like there's not even any thought it's just like oh yeah no women so many women are just paranoid about being raped like they're just fucking like I wonder why the fact that it's that it wasn't even thought about is worse than if it had been no exactly and so it's just whatever well no no it's like that you just what you just said is perfect it leave it only a male all male writer's room could come up with the plot line and the line of dialogue that suggests that all women are paranoid about being raped yeah and just think like jillian had to not that she was the only woman on set but you know her and what the other two women on set had to stand (laughs) there and be like okay so scully talks to the mustachio man and he (laughs) agrees he agrees to stop spraying and send out a town-wide blood test but only if they call it something else right yeah yes uh which of course mr fear of blood um finds unbearable um oh but before we leave that scene Mulder says at the, when he's talking to scully he says something about like fear and he says it's the oldest tool of power and if you are distracted by fear of those around you it keeps you from seeing the actions of those above and that feels really timely right now yeah wow that's a good point like i rewound it and listened to it again because that seems like that is very um apt considering yeah. what's happening in our current political climate that's all. totally no that's a really good point so we see the nurse go to ed's house and he fucking has a panic attack and doesn't answer the door yeah um so scully and Mulder go to ed's house and the gun is missing from his house real unsettling <laughs> and he somehow figures out that uh he knows his fear and he knows where he's going yeah Mulder figures that out that was definitely uh, by the way the body was positioned moment like there was i had no idea how he figured that out okay cut to ed on the bus with his gun going somewhere that only Mulder knows where he's going (laughs) only him and Mulder know and like i just thought of something really funny but like the so ed starts seeing shit on the machine in the bus Uh uh-huh and like the machine on the bus says get off and like imagine if he just started like oh no <laughs> he's like okay okay here we go <laughs> yeah all the crimes being committed listen when i went through this when i watched this episode i was going through it and so maybe my humor wasn't a <laughs> wasn't as on point as it normally is no your humor has been great i was just really i just uh, it, it just disturbs me and I wasn't able to shake it. So I appreciate your humor because it, it grounds me in my um, boiling rage. Well, here's the thing. A lot of the times, if I can, before I spiral into emotional um, breakdowns is I use humor to mask. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Things. And I remember this episode really well. So I kind of was expecting what happened to happen. And, like, everything that was worse that happened was just, like, a little... Just a little spice. Seasoning. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's... That does not serve to excuse how un- unsettling it is and how wrong it is. It's just the whole episode is triggering for so many reasons. 
I literally my next note is this whole episode is nasty. Yeah. Um, it's, it's scary. It's effective in being yeah. really unsettling. Like which maybe like, what was I, that their intention? I don't know. They were trying to be a scary show. And so I like know. these first two with fucking host and this one are definitely like I wouldn't be watching it myself at night. But I would say like these are the first two where I felt that way. I know. Like I never felt like that. And maybe there aren't many more that I feel that way about. Yeah, I can't really think of... I don't think I can think of... I don't like Leonard Betts, but, like, that's just, like, a weird personal thing. Yeah. So Mulder and Scully um, are at the college waiting for Ed. And, like, they're hiding behind, like, a little doorway. I know. And she's so tiny behind him. And it's so clear that they shot it with her behind because, like, they just couldn't show her massive tummy. And, like, it's so cute. I want to give her a little kissy. She's so cute. And then, um, like, it's just, like, again with them standing really close to each other next to walls. I don't know. Can we? (laughs) A little suspect, yeah. She's like, I can't see. Also, like, her eight months pregnant holding a gun is top tier top tier yep (laughs) then he so then ed like is at a different college he got off early or something and like he's he's gonna commit like a mass murder it's called i guess we're just gonna have to wait him out i'm like no (laughs) (laughs) no (laughs) um and then i just made the note like this part is so wild watching this in at the time I was watching this in 2020, but watching this in 2021, like yep. this is not far-fetched at all. No. At this point in, in history, like this literally happened a couple of years ago where at, at that country concert where like oh, a man yeah. was in a position, like a higher, oh yeah, and uh, goes into like a watchtower. Yeah. Wow. No shit. Really? Yeah. Ed goes into like a watchtower and he starts like shooting at the people below him. I know this is exactly where I wrote that. I don't know if you could put this on TV as casually as this, as just yeah. like a oh, just a mid-season monster of the week. Yeah, I feel like, like you couldn't. This is yeah, not without intense trigger warnings and like deeper exploration of what got him. You know, like totally. Yeah, you can't just throw it out as like ooh spooky. Yeah. So Mulder sees that he's up on the watchtower and he fucking hightails it up the stairs. There's like a little, that was a lot. There was a little like scuffle, whatever. He arrests Edward and- um, The actor really goes for it. Like he he, really does. It's it's, honestly like he should, he did a really good job because he went from me feeling immensely sympathetic to him and like being so concerned for his well-being to being absolutely horrified of him. Yeah absolutely like he, his arc was really well acted i agree with not many lines yeah not at all if any like wow now that's that i'm amazing. thinking about it anyways i fast forwarded through the scene because it was scary yeah that scene is unsettling that seems to be the theme unsettling <laughs> everything is just unsettling yeah <laughs> um but and wedding and panicked and out of breath was <laughs> It's so like an idiot when he's going up the stairs, he falls on his on his uh, wrist with a stab wound. Yeah. Dumb Anyways. Um, I was wondering was, how he started bleeding because he already had an injury. Okay. It was all part of his plan. <laughs> he's like, I did it on purpose. 
Wait, you know what's actually really wait, you know what's actually really cute? It's like thinking about like Scully asking him like later on in life, because like she does forgets nothing, like mm-hmm. how he even arrested him. And he like tells her as if like he planned to fall, like planned <laughs> to make him she's like, No, you did not. And he's like, No, I did, Scully. I had it all planned out. He's and like, I thought like, he's like just I knew the blood was a thing, so I had that like I was ready to show my sleeve. And she's like, No, you fucking didn't. And she's like, okay, as she's taking off her shirt. She's like, can you stop talking? I didn't ask you about this. He's like, I just wanted to tell you about that one case. <laughs> he's like, he's like yeah, Scully, remember that one time when I arrested that guy and, like, nobody got hurt? Like, do you remember she's like, that? What? She's like, she's what are like, you talking what? about? No. He's like, yeah, when you just, like, weren't feeling cases for a while. Remember that? <laughs> when you just, like, weren't. <laughs> when you gained, like, 50 pounds. <laughs> And then you came back like a couple of weeks later and like you were back to normal. He's like, it was crazy. What was your like, meal plan? It's like you dropped like, like 15 pounds. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> so. Like I had Skinner's baby. <laughs> He's like. Okay. Can I be honest? Like when people make <laughs> jokes about like her having Skinner's baby or Do people make jokes about Skinner. That? No, no, no. Like when people joke about it in fic, like when people oh, jo- yeah, have, when people have her joke about it in fic. Oh, she also joked about that in the show. So. Right. I don't like that. No, it's weird because he's clearly into her and it's like a weird power dynamic thing. It's like, Ha-ha. like at the end of season seven, when she's like, or when he no when he says Mulder says it Mulder's yeah. like he looks he looks like Skinner yeah you're right I fucked everyone when you were dead yeah when you were Can dead you she's me? like I made my rounds around the entirety of the FBI this is actually Holly's baby yeah <laughs> <laughs> Holly's William's dad William has two moms actually yeah and no it's not monica it's holly <laughs> yeah not that she's the dad but like but that her and holly had a thing maybe you should write it why do you plant these seeds i'm a witch let's go so all is calm on the western front uh Mulder is looking at his phone he gets a message on his phone all right. I, I didn't get this because it wasn't a supernatural creature. It was a hallucination brought on by, by spraying. So were they implying that it wasn't that and it was actually a That's robot? That's what I mean. I don't know. Or was that him know. having a hallucination because because what? What was his biggest fear that was being triggered in them? And then the literal Scully last bit. Scully calling him? The literal last bit of, was Scully not being answered. was just her being ignored. Like as I the know. credits roll, she's like, hello? <laughs> Oh yeah. oh yeah no he called her right oh yeah Mulder her and said nothing and then like it says created by chris carter the screen is black and she's like Mulder, hello <laughs> <laughs> it's like, his biggest I? fear is scully not answering maybe we that's can say that's his fear. biggest fear um also scully's number is five 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 three five six four which is good to know for me cute <laughs> Did you call? <laughs> Hello. Hey, <laughs> Scully there? <laughs> Can I talk to Dana? <laughs> I have a question about the homework. <laughs> oh my god, that's so cute. Okay, anyways. And that's the episode. That is the episode. Biggest takeaway is, is I got trigger Scully's warning. Number. Biggest that is the biggest takeaway of this episode, truly. 
but ultimately is like major trigger warning yeah major trigger warning let we're definitely gonna put a trigger warning on this episode yeah because it's important i wish yeah. the fucking show would have you know um all right should we do jillian's corner yes yeah, jillian's corner would you like to sing it yeah thanks for would asking just, do you want to just sing it i really want to give you your spotlight no i like singing it with you okay let's sing it together okay jillian's corner thank you thank you um so basically (laughs) here's the thing listeners we forget about jillian's corner a lot because all we ever talk about is her so like our whole life is jillian's corner so then when it comes to these moments where we're like what the fuck are we supposed to talk about because we talk about everything so we're gonna put a little thing i've just decided right now (laughs) okay Let's hear it. What are we going to do? I can't wait to find out. Let's go link our curious cat and you can start sending us things you want us to talk about, like interviews or whatever. Anything. It can be some juicy, it can be some juicy hot goss. Or it could be like a haircut or it could be totally like favorite whatever moments, like anything. We don't care, but we need help because either we're just going to react to videos or like we're just rehashing conversations that we've had because we don't you know um anyways so for today golden globe and emmy predictions came out a little bit ago Mm -hmm. and listen i don't know what you're hearing but on the streets i'm hearing that miss jillian anderson is gonna sweep (laughs) is what i'm hearing i hope she does and it's unfortunate and i didn't really properly assess how saddened I was going to be by the fact that we won't get to see her on red carpets and we won't get to see her walk up on stage and accept an award but you know what we move everything has its time like you know this is just the time that we're in right now and she's going to win and it's going to be fantastic and however that happens happens however that happens it's going to be wonderful you know and maybe she'll win an Oscar for that cat musical that she's going to do so fucking even better and guess what (laughs) if we all really truly love jillian we would want her to be at home in some comfy clothes because that is where she would want to be because that is what she would want in her heart of hearts yep (laughs) um so but like yeah and then i was scrolling on twitter and i saw the blooper from the pilot at the at the graveyard and she's just come so far graveyard cemetery isn't that the same thing i don't know graveyard sounds like spooky i don't know because i don't have any out here so like they seem like the same thing to me okay um and she's yeah she's come so far she's just we'll link the blooper because it's the cutest thing ever it's so cute and just she's like was just such a baby who so desperately wanted to be an actor and like now look at her she did the thing she did the thing and like can i be honest like david duchovny can be a shit right in many ways but like i will say have you ever seen the full like unedited blooper that's what we'll post yeah yeah if you I, i i've only seen it like once i think so if we can find it i definitely want to post that one but like understandably but all of the like all the people off to the side mm-hmm. are like, come on, come on, Jillian, like, come on, like, let no, start from like, settle down, like, start from the top. 
And David is so utterly supportive of her so supportive and just like her. really like just going with the wave of however she's feeling and like he's like I he's like that. digging he's like edging her on Mm-mm. yeah oh i mean <laughs> what episode was that i want to i want to see that one he's really he's just like encouraging her he's not getting frustrated at all which is just i'm sorry i'm sorry yeah for sure <laughs> I'm not gonna be able to continue. We have to because I need to cut it out. <laughs> no, you have. To. You're keeping that in. <laughs> you have to. That was so funny. Okay. <laughs> Call back to when Jillian kissed David Letterman on live television. <laughs> that was probably. I want to talk to her about that period of life. So badly. When I first started watching Jillian interviews and I watched that interview, I like it was the worst moment of my life, maybe. I'm pretty sure my jaw (laughs) unhinged off of my face and fell to the floor. Yeah. Like I mm. okay, listen, hear me out, right? Because I was I liked Kate Winslet before. She was so reserved, like Mm. did not talk about her children really, like was not openly expressive in any way in in any sense of the word mm-hmm. <laughs> what a change and then i saw this interview where jillian anderson kissed david letterman on live television and in fact went so far as to just like i can't even do it spread her legs wide open right over the camera <laughs> She really said splits. <laughs> she said, "Woo!" Anyways, how did we get here? I don't know. The point you is, brought it up. you started it this time. Jillian, Jillian Anderson has gone through many phases in her life, and so you too can go through many phases. And how beautiful and hopeful, and she's just so cute in those bloopers. Yeah, she's like adorable. I could actually cry if I think about that for too long. Okay, that's one in the episode. <laughs> Okay. Okay, I'll end the episode before I start. Crying. Okay. We love you. Thank you for listening. And we'll see you next time on The Sex Files. The Sex Files. Bye. Bye. Can I watch this interview now?